Revelation 21, I hope, hope you found it there. <clears throat> Verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. What a verse. <laughs> this tells us a lot about God's whole intent for creation. Right in this verse, it's sort of summing it up. God's purpose before the world was created, before we come into existence, was to tabernacle or dwell with men. That's his purpose. That's the whole plan. And he's going to do it. No matter what Satan does in trying to thwart the plan and purpose of God, God is going to do it. And God is doing it today and has done it. And we'll look at that as we go through these things today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word that so plainly leaps off the page to our hearts. And how we as human beings can rejoice in what you have planned. Your purpose for this world and people on, in it. Thank you that we can be a part of that and that we will dwell with you for all eternity and that you would deem to create a being that could of their own volition and will choose to worship and fellowship with you. And thank you by faith we come by the way of the cross to the Lord through the Lord Jesus to God and are his children. And we pray, Lord, for those that cannot be with us, and some because they don't want to be, and some because they cannot be. And we pray for those that aren't well, that you would be with them, and as has been prayed this morning, that they would be able to listen in to the message electronically and be encouraged in their faith, but build them up in their mortal bodies too, because, Lord, they cannot be with us and love to be here. Lord, we pray today for the camp that starts, starts this evening in New Guinea. We know the gospel will be clearly preached. Souls will be challenged and Satan will be on the rampage. We pray that you'd hinder him and put a hedge of protection around the young people and the ministers, uh, those serving, uh, providing, Lord, in many different ways, physically and spiritually, Bless every one of them as they minister and may many souls be drawn to you through the ministry of the camp this week. Lord, we do pray for Matthew as he's from here, he's, he's gone, that you'd minister to him and through him to bring yourself the glory. Lord, bless the word as it's open and shared today in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Turning to Hebrews chapter 7 and looking at a few verses to build a bit of a base for the sermon today. <clears throat> Why did God create man? Did he need to create man? Did he have to create man? No, he didn't. But he did. 
And so that somewhat shows the heart of God and his intent. Why are we on this planet? Why did he make the, the world and the stars? Why did he make the universes, the universe and all the other galaxies that go along with that? Did he have to? Did he need them? No. But he did. In verse 1 of Hebrews 7, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Here you have Melchizedek introduced to us in the New Testament. Yes, he is mentioned and talked of in the Old Testament. He is a type, a picture of Christ, is he not? That's what it's saying in, in verse 3. Like unto the Son of God. Without father, without mother. How long has God existed? Eternally. For eternity. He has been, always will be. And this is what we are reading here. Chapter 7, verse 15. We read, And it is yet far more evident, for after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. Endless life. <laughs> For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So <clears throat> here you have, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is eternal. Verse 21 and 22, we read, For these priests, or those priests, were made without an oath, but this with an oath. By him that said unto him, The Lord swore and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much Jesus was made a surety of a better testament and so <clears throat> how long has god existed what's his purpose in creating man <laughs> all tied up in the in the bible and mentioned and talked about in the book of revelation we won't turn there but chapter 1 and verse 8 and verse 11 there it speaks about the lord jesus as being alpha and omega it talks about him being the beginning and the ending it talks about him being the first and the last and uh, as I said at the funeral, you know, God has always existed. You either have to believe with all the effect we have around what, what we see with our eyes and can observe with, sat, with um, telescopes and electronic things out there. That's the cause. Who affected all this? Who brought it into being? How did it get there? You either have to say it just happened per chance. It happened from nothing. Or you, are, as I am, believe that God has always existed and he brought it into existence. And if he's like that, how almighty is he? I mean, English words can't describe what God is like. Because of the, what, what he's made with the word of his mouth and brought this into existence. And then he brought us into existence. What are, who is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? 
Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and set him in charge of that which he created. You know, it's because we're made in the image of God that we can fall down and worship him and that we can reason and that we can think and that we can make music and that we can do all the things. We have speech. Animals don't do that. We're special in God's sight. And he made us that way, that he, we and he might fellowship together. That's his intent. That's why you've been made. To whom can we liken God? What's the yardstick? Who do we compare him with? Over in the book of Isaiah, it speaks about this. To whom can we compare the Lord? In Isaiah chapter 40, wonderful chapter there, and verse, to start with, you can read from 12 to 15. Who hath measured the water in the hollow of his hand? That is for the seas of this world. He measured out heaven with the span of his hand. Just like that. Sometimes you do that when you haven't got your ruler. You span it out and, and measure something to go home and see if it will fit in that, that spot in the, in, the, in the room. But measured the dust of the earth in the measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who hath, direct, who hath directed his spirit of the Lord? Or being his counsellor and taught him. With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding behold the nations are like a drop in the bucket and accounted as a small dust of the balance behold he taketh up the isles as a very little thing in verse 17 all nations before him are as nothing they are counted as less than nothing and vanity wow that's getting things in perspective isn't it <laughs> This is the nations, this is the peoples of the world. These are the powerful people with the atomic weapons and all the navies and armies that they've got. And he counts them as nothing, as less than nothing. In verse 18, the question comes, To whom then will you liken me, or liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Over in verse 25, To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Nobody can be equaled or compared with God. God is above all. He created all. He made all. It was his thoughts that brought us into existence. That's why we're here. And we have a he has a purpose for us. Over in chapter 57 and verse 15 of Isaiah, we read 57:15. For thus saith the high and lofty, one who inhabiteth eternity, I like that phrase. Could you put that together? No, I couldn't think of that. Inhabiteth eternity. What does it mean? He's always existed and always will. He's ever present. <laughs> Whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also who is of a contrite and humble spirit to receive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Folk, he's willing to be with you, <laughs> to, to dwell in you, this God of eternity who inhabiteth eternity. Does he need us? No, he doesn't. But did he desire to create us? Yes, he did. <laughs> he is very insistent and persistent to bring about the purpose for humanity. He has given us multiple opportunities to know and communicate with him. And this is the story of the scriptures. The theme of the holy book you have in your hands today. God wants to tabernacle 
dwell with men. Let's go back to the book of Genesis and quickly go through a few thoughts as fast as we can. I don't say quickly. I like what the Lord says, behold, I come quickly. Well, <laughs> that was 2,000 years ago. And that's quickly <laughs> to him. Genesis chapter 1. What did God do historically in the Garden of Eden? Well, here we have it read. At the time of the fall, chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, over the cattle and over the earth, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. God made us, created us in his image that we might fellowship with him. As we see in chapter 3, go there and to verse 8. And they heard, that is Adam and Eve heard, the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam, his wife, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded that, that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. <laughs> From that point on, men and women down to today are trying to blame everybody else for their sins. Or everybody else for their estrangement from God. And you can't do it. The Lord will hold you accountable. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent. He's <laughs> getting passed down the chain now. The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. <laughs> and, the, and, and the buck stopped with the serpent. <laughs> and he was cursed. And uh, he was down on his belly. Down on his belly. Well, <clears throat> what was God doing in this verse? In verse 8, he came down and he, he was going to walk with them and fellowship with them and commune with them and dwell with them and tabernacle with them in the cool of the day. That's what he did. And it's like this is a regular thing that he did. he come down to fellowship with these creatures that he'd created. But they were hiding in the garden. First game of hide and seek we find in humanity was they were hiding because of their sin. And God was seeking them. Did God have to go looking under leaves and try and find them? No. He knew exactly where they were hiding. And that's why he called out. He probably walked to that point where, yeah, they're just in there. I'll just, I'll just say it here. Where art thou? And they had to come out covered in fig leaves. Was it? <laughs> covered in leaves that of their own making and man has done the same ever since the beginning try to cover the sin up by their own means doesn't work not by works of righteousness which we have done according to his mercy he saved us by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus notice the Lord had to kill an animal but there God's intent was to dwell with them our original parents broke the heart of God so much so that 1,600 years later, and you don't have to go many chapters in Genesis to find that, 1,600 thereabouts, to chapter 6, you find that they had broken the heart of God so severely. In verse 5, 
of Genesis 6, and God saw the wickedness of man, that it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man that I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. It's an interesting statement, isn't it? That God was repenting of what he had done. Did God know that this would have happened? Yes. He knows everything in the future and the past. That's why we have prophecy. He, he, he knows what's going to happen. But he has a plan, doesn't he? And he's sticking to the plan. <laughs> he's going to dwell with us. No matter how bad they get down there, I'm going to bring my purpose to pass. I am going to fellowship with mankind for eternity, and that's it, full stop. <laughs> so what did he do? He destroyed all of the earth but, eight, but for eight souls and the animals that come into the ark. In chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse... Five. <clears throat> this is a story about the Tower of Babel. And in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And you know the story that he had to confuse the languages. They weren't doing what he said to do. But he came down to have a look. All these people had descended from Noah. This is a not long, 400 years so after the flood. And they dwelt in the plains of Shinar, isn't it, there? And they built a tower whose top they were, they were going to become Nimrod, the leader of the group, in rebellion against God. So here God's destroyed them and only 400 years later, they're up to their old tricks again. Denying that God exists, don't want to talk to you, I want to do my thing. We have a majority of people of 7 billion in the world today saying, I'm doing my own thing. Forget God, but God is not going to have it that way. He's going to change it and near, it's very near that things are going to change around. And we can praise him for it, can't we? Yeah. God came down. Well, <coughs> he mixed the language, he, he confused the languages, Babel, Babel. He, he changed that round at the at the day of Pentecost, didn't he, that people could hear the message? Now we have translators. We don't have that gift today. And <clears throat> he gets the message, he got the message out. But then God did something else. He chose a man called, what was his name? Abraham. Remember, he chose Abraham. And, and, and then Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had, now we're stumped. <laughs> Twelve sons. That's the easiest way to say it. And those are twelve tribes of tribes of Israel. Um, <clears throat> what purpose? For what purpose did God choose Abraham, the the Jewish nation, that He might speak through them to the nations of the world that had started at Babel, that He might talk to the peoples through them. He gave them His oracles. He gave them the Testament, the Old Testament. He gave them his laws. He gave them what he thought. Uh, at Sinai, he gave them these things. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25. And we're moving quickly. 
and f as fast as we can, we could put it that way. Verse 8 of chapter 25 of Exodus. And God said to this nation that he had formed as he brought them, um, raised them in Egypt for 400 years, brought them through the Red Sea, into the land after 40 years. And he said to them on the way there, let them make me a sanctuary that I may what? What's the word? Dwell among them. That's his purpose. That's what we're looking at today, that he might dwell among them. And he did dwell among them, didn't he? <laughs> In the tabernacle, verse 42 of chapter 29 of Exodus. This is getting that bigger picture of what God's intent is for mankind. As we've concluded with the, we started with the conclusion in Revelation 21, verse 3, to dwell with man. Um, <clears throat> we find there in 2942. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak there unto thee. And there will I meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified for my glory. Verse 45, and I will what? Dwell among the children. And this place is called the tabernacle and will be their God. So he was dwelling among the children of Israel. And we could go to many other verses, but how was God's presence seen in the wilderness as they built this tabernacle? How was his presence seen? By day, it was a, a cloud, and by night it was fire. Fire, and uh, gave light to the camp. So he tabernacled amongst them. Intent? To spread the news. What did they do? Kept it to themselves. They called everyone outside dogs. <laughs> and they still do. The Jews called Gentiles the dogs. And, and, and we experienced that in Israel. When we're in a shop being served, there was a girl that worked at a shop. I could tell she was orthodox, the way she dressed. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> you can tell that she wasn't a secular Jew, she was an orthodox Jew. And we asked for something. <clears throat> <laughs> we got the snub <laughs> we were Gentiles they're not going to serve you and I thought oh <laughs> I, I didn't expect that because you know if a person calls themselves believing in God you don't behave that way but anyway that's what they were like that's what they were like so in the tabernacle let's go to 1st Kings chapter 6 1st Kings chapter 6 and verse 1 <clears throat> And here again, we find God going to dwell among them. Very similar to the tabernacle was the, what was the next thing they, that God dwelt in? Among them, the temple. In chapter 6 of First Kings and verse 1. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. This is 430 years in the fort. Fourth year of Solomon reign, reigned over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is a second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. How long did they keep that old tabernacle going for? Just told us. 430 years. That's a long time to keep a tent in good order. <laughs> and they did. But then they decided 
the, the you know to build the ta- the temple and they did build the temple david desired second samuel we won't turn to these chapter 7 verse 1 to 3 david desired to build the temple in first chronicles 22 6 to 8 god said no david you can't build the temple you have shed too much blood in first kings 8 27 solomon said but will god dwell on the earth behold the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee how much less this house that I have built, Solomon's temple. One of the wonders of the ancient world, Solomon's temple. The man had put together the gold and the money. You add up the cost of what it cost to build that place. And the personal contribution of David himself. In today it would be in the billions of dollars worth that he gave personally to build that temple. And when they built the temple... If you go to Second Chronicles chapter seven, Second Chronicles seven verses one to three, we have what happened when they'd finished building this temple that Solomon built. David got the gear together, the material to build it, and then Solomon built it, and this is what happened. Second Chronicles seven one to three. Now when Solomon had ceased praying, the fire, the, the fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the house. And when all the children of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshipped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. What had just happened? God's presence came into the temple. God's approval. God's presence was there. And if we had time, we'd go to Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 3, chapter 10, verse 2, chapter 10, 18, and chapter 11, 22 to 23. We see where the glory of the Lord departed. Hundreds of years later, because God, Israel had estranged themselves from God by their sin. And the glory of God departed. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar came down and uh, wrecked the temple. Ruined the temple. It's only a, a structure and God had to get this out of their system. But God dwelt among them in the tabernacle, in the temple. Then he departed from them. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. God dwelling among humanity among his people Matthew 1 and 23 and we we use these words we sing these songs at Christmas time here we read behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name what's the word summed up in that word Emmanuel which being interpreted is God with us that's it you know you're following the theme God with us. He's dwelling amongst us. Jesus Christ, when he was born, was God with us. And if you, unless you believe that, you can't go to heaven. You're not saved. So in time, God sent his only beloved son, Emmanuel, God with us. He walked the dusty sod of this earth, his own creation. <laughs> he took upon himself the form of a man, was made in our likeness. As it reads in John 1, verse 10 to 12, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own 
received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. What a privilege to get to know God, to get him dwelling in you or me by faith. So in time, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. And he dwelt amongst us. He, even his own brothers and sisters didn't know who he really was, did they? Until after he had died and rose again, then they realised. All this time, for 30 years, Jesus, my older brother, was helping me and showing me how to, how to live a Christian life, a godly life. And I didn't know it was God. Fancy having God in your home. I mean, we do. We do. But to miss it physically like that. What a revelation when the penny dropped to these brothers and sisters of the Lord. And how after that they were so committed, nothing, nothing could deter them from serving their older brother, half-brother, the Lord Jesus. So in the temple, Solomon's temple, in time he came and let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Though being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself and become one of us. That's God, our God. And we go now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and see God dwelling amongst us again. <clears throat> you see, he's not given up. <laughs> he's insistent on this. Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians and verse 16. We read there, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Now, where does God dwell? He dwells in his temple. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, if you read it right and read the verbs and everything, this is talking about the church, not about an individual. It looks like it's an individual. This is talking about the church. God dwells in the church. This is his temple. This is his expression of himself to the world through the church. What is the world seeing the church to be now? Well, the church doesn't believe, or used to believe, in a married couple was a husband-wife. But now they believe you can be both the same sex. The world looks on and sees this. This is a bad, wicked, evil testimony. Now, not all the churches, some churches. And the more are going that way. And it's supposed to be the temple of God. Unsafe people saying, oh, how confused they must be, some out there. How can this work? We think it's wrong, but the church is doing it and saying it's right. Total confusion, isn't it? So here... Don't defile the temple of God, which temple ye are, the church. The, t the church today is using worldly methods, worldly music, worldly motives, worldly mandates. Big is better and big is blessed, they say. Read First Timothy and it tells you the opposite. 
A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump of the church. <clears throat> Jesus promised in Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or three are gathered together. What did he say? Who's there? God dwelling in the midst of them. So in the temple, his church, he dwells. That's what he's doing today. But there's something extra special for those who are Christians. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. <clears throat> this is getting personal now. <laughs> what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, ghost, who is in you, whom ye have of God? Ye are not your own. You're brought with a price. Therefore, <laughs> logically, <laughs> this is to reason. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, now it's gone from the temple, the bigger the, the church, to the individual that God is dwelling with. God' intent back at creation was to dwell with man. Now he's got it right down to a personal relationship. Never before the church had God dwelt in and stayed in the individual, the being, the temple, your body, the temple of God. Now, I think to see how sanctified it should be, we should go back to the Old Testament. We won't, but go back there and read what God thought of people when they defiled the temple of God. If the high priest who went into the Holy of Holies once a year went in with sin in his heart, what happened to him in the, in the Holy of Holies? He was smitten dead. And they had a rope tied to his leg in case that happened so they didn't have to go in there and get smitten and drag him out. That's what they did. What are we doing with our temple? <laughs> are we entertaining thoughts that are ungodly? Are we looking and thinking and reasoning about what we would like to do as a sinful being? God is not pleased when we let our mind wander like it shouldn't. God is a holy God. God is absolute perfection. But praise God that he is gracious and merciful. Otherwise we'd be all smitten a long time ago <laughs> he, he, he exercises his grace and mercy toward us he knoweth our frame it says that we are but dust he knows the weakness of our old nature or the strength of it to overcome the spiritual side in our life and bring us down into sin so he dwells within don't grieve him don't quench him Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19 God in the spirit dwells within you and it happens when we become a Christian and believe on the Lord Jesus 1 Corinthians 12.13 tells us that we are baptised into the body of Christ the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens and we've been covering it on Wednesday night how many times are you indwelt by the spirit? once, thank you once <laughs> How many times can, be, can you be infilled with the Spirit where he takes control of you? Many times and many times a day. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit and it comes not by agonizing prayer but by simply obeying the truth of God as revealed to you as you read it. And he fills you with the Spirit of God to do ministry. And as we went through the book of Acts on Wednesday night, we noticed there that at, on different occasions the, the apostles need a, a, another infilling. 
because it was a different task they faced. Sometimes it was persecutions. Sometimes it was as preaching. Sometimes it were you know, different things they needed to be infilled with the Spirit of God and that we need every day to be infilled. Be, in Ephesians 5.18, be being filled. That's what it says, literally. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is that he might take complete control of our lives and do, as his, do his will through us. <laughs> be being filled. Ephesians 5.18 it was. Now, that's God dwelling in us. That's very personal. That's now, every day. Sometimes he's grieved and um, quenched. And that means he's not talking much to us. You know, when you get upset with somebody, <laughs> whoever it is, or they quench your... They quench your enthusiasm for loving them. Not much communication happens. And so we do to the Spirit of God. He doesn't want that. It's not him that shifts, it's us. We've moved. And now we, we consider another. This is, now we're going into the future. What, what we've done till now is up. It's, been, it's happened or happening. Now in the Millennial Temple in Ezekiel 43, verse 7, 9, Two, four, and five. As that temple is built and its size, its shape, its everything is different to what temples have been. You see, there's been Solomon's temple, there was Herod's temple, and it was Solomon's temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, Herod's temple that was around when the Lord Jesus was here, and the, and the apostle said, "Look at this wonderful place." And Jesus said, "It's going to be destroyed." <laughs> but then he's likened it to his body, and it got destroyed by Titus. And then there's the tribulation temple that they've got it all ready. They put it up in a, a few weeks. They got it ready to put on the temple mount, but how dare they? <laughs> so said the Arab people, they're not going to do it, but it will be built. So it will be put up. They went down one of the little streets there and peeked in the keyhole of the door. It was too late. They'd locked the door. And Andrew was banging on it to try and get us in a, a private audience with them, but all the things that they've made for the priests and everything now. They've got it ready to go. They've even trained the priests. They've got a Sanhedrin together, 70 older people. They've got all the clothes for them all stitched up. They've got it ready to go now. But that's a tribulation temple. We're not here to talk about that but because God's not going to dwell in that one at all. God won't be there. And that one will be wrecked, destroyed by the end of the tribulation. Then there'll be the Millennial Temple and it's magnificently talked about for about 10 chapters at the end of the book of Ezekiel. All the details of size and, and what's going to happen in that place. And God is going to dwell there. And in those verses I mentioned, 7, 9, 2, 4 and 5 of Ezekiel 43, God's glory comes back. If you compare that with early Ezekiel where God's glory departed, then at the end you have God's glory coming back. And it almost comes back the same path on the eastern gate and into the temple and into the holy place. It, it's interesting to compare the two. But God then will dwell on earth in his temple in Israel. And in Zechariah 14 verse 16 it reads, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations after that terrible tribulation, which are come against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts and to keep the feast of the tabernacles and shall dwell and it shall be sorry that whoever will not come up of all the families of the earth unto Jerusalem to worship the king the lord of hosts even upon them shall be no rain 
You want a desert? Don't come up to the king. <laughs> he will dwell amongst people for 1,000 years. And the amazing thing is, at the end of it all, multitudes rise up and resist and try to overthrow God, the Lord Jesus, at Jerusalem. They surround the city to take it captive. How foolish. How I can't get it. How many times do the world have to be beat up by God to realise that he has the power, he has the authority, and he will do it. And he will do it. But then we come to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 that we started with this morning. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them. That's it. He's going to do it. And he will dwell with them for eternity. Them is the redeemed, of course, not the unsaved. They're consigned to hell as it's given in the book. He will, he will dwell with us. Will you be there to dwell with him? God will accomplish his purpose even at great cost to himself already. He is a covenant promise-keeping God who does not lie and is immutable. In 1 Corinthians 15, 27, we read and 28, And he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, the Lord Jesus, who did put all things under him. In, in other words, the Lord Jesus will bring everything into subjection and then give it back to God, the Father. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him, God the Father, that put all things under him, Christ the Son, that God may be all in all. And for an application, I put, there's so many. For us personally, God dwelling in you, you are the temple. Wherever you go, God goes. Whatever you think, God's there. You know, this should say, well, I'm going to start living like a Christian like a, a servant of God. But I thought of Luke 19.5 where the Lord Jesus was walking along and he come to a tree, a sycamore tree, and he looked up and who was perched up in a branch? Zacchaeus. Little Zacchaeus. <laughs> and, and Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, Zacchaeus, and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. And then he said, for today I must abide at thy house <laughs> I'm going to dwell with you Zacchaeus I'm going to come and have a meal with you <laughs> and you know what God is saying today still I want to abide in your house I want to abide in you as a believer I want to live through you I want to be a testimony to the world through you I want to abide at your house are we letting him you see he doesn't bust the door down and come in he stands out, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door, let him in. Let him into every room and control all of your life for the rest of your life because it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus and the testimony of Uncle Ray, as I, would have, I was asked to preach the message and just talked about his faith in Christ, his foundation on Christ, his faithfulness to Christ. And there's another point, I forgot it. But, and, and his future with Christ. He could say on the last day to his family, after he had the, a second heart attack, 
there on last last Sunday morning actually he was able to say Lord take me home <laughs> that's what he said before his family and he went that a few hours later he took him home because he'd served the Lord and was faithful what about you what about us how are we doing what God wants us to do you are not your own you're brought with a price therefore glorify God in your bodies do it for his glory that he may say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word as we've gone from cover to cover, as it were, in a summary. You want to dwell with us. You want to be in our midst. You want to be in our own bodies. This is the temple of God. And may we treat it with reverence, respect, knowing, Lord, that whatever we do, the world looks on and says that's what Christ is like may we represent you well and be ambassadors for you and reconciling others to yourself may we all, all walk the pilgrim pathway for the honour and glory of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray Amen